Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. How do you feel when you receive a gift? No doubt it produces a bunch of different emotions in you. You might feel joy in unwrapping the gift. You probably feel love by the person who gave you the gift. You feel excitement, especially if it's something you've always wanted or have been waiting for. Um, A couple of weeks ago, you all surprised me for Pastor Appreciation Month. There was all this food and dessert, and I felt very appreciated and loved. Uh, For sure, you felt the same way and have experienced some of the same emotions when you've gotten a surprise birthday party or received recognition at school or recognition at the job, you know, for all of your hard work. But chief among those feelings, I think you should feel gratitude. You should feel grateful for receiving the gift. The fact that the person thought about you, the fact that they went out of their way to get you that gift, no matter how big or small, that there was meaning and affection behind the gift. And hopefully that gift leads to gratitude. We finally approached the ending of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in case you missed any of the 29 messages before today, allow me to catch you up briefly. Paul is under house arrest for nothing except sharing the gospel. It's a very hostile environment to be a follower of Jesus. Not only are the Jews hostile towards Christianity, but so is the Roman government. So Paul has his freedoms ripped away from him and he's placed under house arrest. But it's in that time of need that Paul's dear friends from the church in Philippi step up to help encourage him and to provide for his specific needs. And they really were close friends and relationships to him. Uh, they were, in fact, they were a lot more like family. Um, these were people he personally led to the Lord, people he baptized and cared for spiritually. He had discipled and raised up leaders from their midst. So there was a special bond within the Philippian church, and the affection was mutual. As we round out chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul has been addressing the generosity of the Philippian church. They were so generous. They not only prayed for Paul and prayed for the gospel work, but they actually put their money where their prayers were. They literally gave to fuel the mission and empower Paul to do the work that God had called him to do. And I know what you're thinking. No, this is not a give me all your money spiel. No, you see, the Bible is full of examples and lessons on generosity simply because the Bible is a book about God And what radiates at the very core of who God is, is a generous God who gives generously to his creation. So to round out our time in Philippians, Paul is going to give us some of the outcomes we should expect of people who give generously. In other words, what results directly correlate to your generosity? What emotions should be conjured up in me because of my generosity? What does our generosity do to the heart of God? So four big ideas that we see in today's passage. Number one is this. When we give, it produces gratitude. Look at what Paul writes in today's passage. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Allow me to jog your memories in case you forgot about Epaphroditus. The church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus as a part of their way to generously support and care for Paul during his time of great need. Our boy Epaph delivers a care package to Paul, and he actually gets sick along the way. 
but he still manages to push through the adversity and get the support to Paul's hands. And while we don't know what exactly was in the package, we know there was some sort of monetary support and some items to help Paul in his time of need. So here comes Epaphroditus. He, uh, he walks through the door and he yells out, Paul, Christmas time came early. Here you go, brother. And Paul is ecstatic and excited like a kid on Christmas morning upon receiving the generous gift from his friends in Philippi. And so Paul writes, I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied. You see, there was a level of gratitude and satisfaction in Paul's heart upon receiving the gift. He wasn't like some of you guys, okay, when you open up your gift on Christmas morning only to find out that it's a pair of socks, right? You might sarcastically say, oh, great, you know, thanks, exactly what I wanted, right? No, Paul is grateful. He's satisfied with the gift. He's rejoicing in the provision of God through the generosity of his friends, as we've read multiple times throughout his letter. There was no, wait, that's it? What about my favorite shirt that I accidentally left in Philippi? Where did you do more? No, that, that wasn't Paul's attitude. And when we give, it should produce gratitude, both in the person who receives the gift, but also within the heart of the gift giver. If we're completely honest, we can sometimes be so ungrateful. And if I could add, we can be so entitled sometimes as well. Again, both in our receiving and giving of gifts. It stems from an attitude of pride and self-service. We've been so conditioned to make everything about us, we miss out on the opportunity to be grateful to God both for the gift and the blessing to be able to give. The church generously supported the kingdom work of the gospel through Paul, and it produced gratitude in Paul's heart. Let us be a people that consider it a joy and a privilege and an honor, not only when we receive gifts, but to be a gift giver, to be a conduit of the Lord's blessing and provision to fuel the mission of the local church through our giving. Is that your attitude? Or is your attitude, shoot, they're lucky I give. If it weren't for me, the church probably would have been belly up for now. Or... Is your attitude, wow, God, I can't believe that you would use me to advance your gospel cause. Why would you even bless me to such a degree that I could give to your work? There's a difference there. That is the heart of gratitude, and that is the heart that we should aspire to. The second big idea from today's passage is this. Number two, when we give, it pleases God. Let's take a look at that passage once again. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, which you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, we would read about the sacrifices the people of Israel would make. It would involve the burning of animals on occasion. On other occasions, it would require the burning of incense. Depending on the type of sacrifice, they would burn different things. The Bible oftentimes describes the aroma of the burnt sacrifices as an aroma that was pleasing to God. It's not that God has nostrils like we do, but that the act of faith and obedience was pleasing to God. And when they would burn sacrifices, you would smell the sacrifice. The smell of the sacrifice would fill the air. It's kind of like when someone fires up the grill and you smell the mixture of the charcoal and the hickory smoked chips and, and you're immediately perhaps brought to a place of thinking of summertime or Fun times with friends and family around some barbecue burgers and hot dogs. The fragrance represented the obedience and faith of the people, and God looking down pleased upon their response to Him. In other words, the smell conjured up an, emo an emotion to the people. Imagine for a moment lighting up an incense stick. You see the smoke fill the air, and you begin to smell the aroma that comes out of it. That symbol 
That act of faith was pleasing to God. The smell is a reminder that the act is special and led to the appropriate response. Whether it was repentance for sin, thanksgiving for the Lord's provision, or an offering of praise. And here's what Paul is saying. The generosity of the Philippian church, their gifts, they're taking care of Paul, they're providing to meet Paul's needs, wasn't actually for Paul or to Paul. Their generosity was actually like a sweet, sweet aroma to God. Their obedience and their faith and trusting God to be able to do more with their resources than they could was pleasing to God. And when we exercise generosity, it's like that incense. It's like that hickory smoked barbecue rib on the grill. It's like a sweet smell that brings pleasure to God. Did you ever consider that when you give, when you practice generosity, you're actually giving to God? You might be giving to your local church. You might be supporting a gospel work. But ultimately, who you're giving to is to God. And when you do so, it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. How might this change your attitude towards giving? Might it change your frame of thinking in regards to generosity? Because when we give, it pleases God. The third big idea from today's passage is this, number three. When we give, God supplies our needs. Let's look at verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, I want to remind you guys about what we mentioned a couple weeks ago. That is that we can't outgive God and that God's economy is different from ours. So often, we think that we're unable to give because we don't have a surplus. But in God's economy, it works differently. When we trust God and give faithfully, there's a promise that we can count on. And that is that He will supply all our needs. If you remember, Paul mentioned previously that there was a time when the Philippian church wanted to support, but they couldn't. And now they were able to and did. Paul reminds them that God will honor their generous support and supply their needs in the process. How will He supply their needs? That's easy. Paul says, according to God's riches in Christ Jesus. We might be broke. We might be in need. We might be living paycheck to paycheck but not God. God is rich in mercy. He is rich in kindness. He is rich in forgiveness, but He is also rich in provision. He is rich in resources. Each month we see our bank accounts empty as the rent is deducted, as the bills are withdrawn, as the car breaks down, when we go to the supermarket, when the kids need new clothes, when the dog gets sick, and when we go on vacation. But the bank in heaven never runs dry. Withdrawals are taken, but God's riches never run empty. That's why Paul can confidently say, that God will supply all their needs. Now here's the thing. Some people might take a verse like this one that we just read and say, you see, God will supply all your needs. Do you want a Maserati? Do you want that three-car garage? Do you want fill in the blank? Well, God says that He will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And guys, this is why it's so important that we study the Bible in context. Your selfish wants and your egotistical desire to luxurious things has nothing to do with this passage here. It says that God will supply all of your needs. It doesn't say He will supply all of your wants. You and I, we want a lot of stuff. But what you want and what you need are two different things. And the promise here is that God will give you and supply for you what you need. Paul is telling to the Philippians that God will supply or reward their sacrificial giving by supplying for them what is needed. And that's the promise that we have for us. That when we give, God will give us what we need. 
When you look at what you've got and think, I don't have enough to give, God says you can give and then he will supply what you need. It's a promise from God in scripture. But Danny, that doesn't make any sense. I know it doesn't. God doesn't sit frantically back reading the newspaper to see how the stock market performed this week or to see if his retirement investment is down. His economy is different. And when we honor him with our generosity, he promises to supply what we need. Not everything you want, but certainly what's needed. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling to receive this truth. That's okay. Ask God to help you trust his word in this area and to grow your faith. When you do, when you do that, I totally believe that he can and he will help you out. Okay, finally, the last big idea from today's passage is this. Number four, when we give, God gets the glory. Let's wrap up our time in Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a couple temptations that we skim right over in this passage if we're not careful. We have the gift givers, the Philippian church. We have the gift bringer, Epaphroditus. We have the gift receiver, Paul, who's in house arrest uh, during a time of great need. There's a temptation for the gift giver to think that they deserve the glory. After all, they're the ones that worked hard to raise the funds and scrap to put money together, did a church-wide fundraising campaign to support Paul if there was food, buying the food or making the bread or whatever. But the glory gets misplaced if we place it there. There's a temptation for the gift bringer to think he deserves the glory. After all, Epaphroditus took off of work. He made the long and arduous journey. He got severely sick and nearly died on the way to Paul. He used his own donkey or camel or whatever they used back then to get around. He risked life and limb to bring Paul the care package, but the glory gets misplaced there as well. There's a temptation for the gift receiver to think that he deserves the glory. After all, Paul is the one that's being persecuted for the gospel. He's being flogged and stoned, incarcerated, spat at, chased out of synagogues, shipwrecked at sea. I mean, this guy's had a rough life, all for the sake of the gospel. And now he's under house arrest and still writing whole books of the Bible. So obviously, if anyone deserves some praise, it's Paul, right? But the glory gets misplaced there as well. Paul reminds us in this passage that the only person who's deserving of the praise, of all the glory and all the honor is God. God gets the glory. God is the provider of the means. God is the sustainer along the journey. God is the provider of the humility of the receiver. God gets the glory. And if we're not careful, there's a temptation for us to mistakenly think that we deserve glory. That it's all about us. Look at how I sacrificed to give. Look at how I worked hard to deliver the gift. Look at how, I, how great a manager I am at stewarding the gift. Me, 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 me. The reminder through our text today is that it's not about you, you, you. It's about God and His glory. And when we do all the aforementioned, He gets the glory through it all. When you give, you honor Him and He gets the glory. When you take steps of obedience and bringing the gift to Him, he gets the glory. When the gift is received, it is to be stewarded, invested, and used for the glory of God. The results that are produced from those gifts sown all bring glory to God as well. What is your attitude when you give? Do you give out of compulsion? Do you give out of obligation? Do you give out of pride? Well, because when we give, God gets the glory, then our attitude should be one of great humility. It should be done with great reverence and considered a privilege. We should be able to, as the Bible says elsewhere, to give cheerfully because we know that God will get all the glory, honor, and praise from our obedience. Allow me to finish our time this way. When we get instructed by God's word about giving, you need to receive that instruction within the context that God is an excellent gift giver. 
He's not a glory hog wanting all the praise and attention from himself from his creation while he sits on his throne eating a Big Mac. No, our God is a generous father who gives good gifts to his children and who understands a sacrificial gift. No greater gift and no greater sacrifice was given than what God did for us so that we might be near to him. The Bible says that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, heading towards eternal separation from God, he couldn't stand to have heaven without us. And so he brought heaven down to earth. God bankrupted heaven and gave his all and his absolute best through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus would be the sinless lamb of God who would live the life that we were incapable of living and then ultimately die the death that we deserve. His death so barbaric and gruesome to demonstrate the ugliness of our sin and the extent of his love for us. Jesus was God's generous and sacrificial gift to us. Except it wasn't some of him, it was all of him. Jesus bore the cross and died upon it so that we might be recipients of God's most gracious and generous gift. Through the death of Jesus, we can receive forgiveness of sin. Our sins are atoned for, our sins are forgiven, our sin debt is paid. But God's gift doesn't end in a funeral because God is the author of life and death. The tomb was incapable of restraining the great hound of heaven from rescuing and redeeming whom he loves. And on the third day, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. Jesus burst forth from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. Now all who look to him can experience grace, forgiveness, peace with God, peace with man, and eternity. How? Simply by receiving God's gift. A gift is given. The cost of the gift is absorbed by the gift giver. A gift is received and costs nothing to the gift receiver. You simply receive it. You enjoy it. You treasure it. And God's gift of salvation is available to you. It's your choice to receive or reject it. I pray you receive it today. God, I just pray that you would help develop within our hearts hearts of gratitude, both in our giving and in our receiving. Help us to trust and honor you in our giving, understanding that you will ultimately supply all our needs. We pray that you would get all the glory. It's not about us, but it is about you. Get the glory from our generosity. Allow us to be vessels and conduits of your blessing. And thank you, God, for the greatest gift of all, the gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Christ. Help us to be reflectors of your generosity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub, let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday.